Welcome to the Product Podcast by Product School. Here's a preview of today's talk. What is predictive personalization? This is using predictive technologies to determine the variations of the product or service we perform best for specific consumer groups. So instead of me manually going and figuring out, you know, for which either doing an A-B test for a segment or, you know, based on some insights that I've gained and going and personalizing for each group, what I'm doing, I still have to do something. I have to come up with some ideas, but then I feed these into some kind of predictive technology, um, like machine learning specifically, where it will try to analyze the data and look for patterns and consistency, repeated patterns to see, okay, for this audience, they seem to be responding well to this headline, whereas this other audience does not, where they, they're performing better just to the control headline. And then that model keeps running, and then it will find the differences in audiences. It will, try to, it will automatically optimize for this sort of thing. In this podcast, we teach our listeners valuable lessons about product management and transform them into thinking like a product manager. We teach product management, coding, data analytics, and blockchain in 14 campuses worldwide, including San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. You can find more information at productschool.com. Join our Slack community of 25,000 professionals to network and stay tuned for our upcoming events. So we're going to start with a little bit of mortgage lead gen flow overview uh, because I think a lot of what we're going to talk about is, is very specific to, that, to this industry. And then uh, we're going to go through an overview and then use cases of A-B testing, personalization, and predictive personalization, uh, specifically in lead gen. And then we'll close with a summary, and then I'll be happy to answer any questions. And also, if you have really, um, if you have a dying question you want to ask in the middle, just go for it. I mean... I want this to be a very kind of open, casual conversation, not a very formal like lecture because, you know, it's, it's not a lecture. Um, all right, so online mortgage lead gen overview. Some things to, to highlight about this that, that might be different from other industries, other products is there's a big focus on a single transaction, which is the lead generation. Um, so a lot of times a consumer would only come to this site one time. Um, there may be folks that come more than one time, but generally there's a single transaction. We're trying to generate that lead, sell it to the mortgage providers who are going to call that lead and try to convert that lead into a mortgage. Uh, another thing to mention is this is a very sensitive to market conditions. It's, a, it's actually a very marketing-driven product, so which might be different from some of the other products, like, for example, you know, Amazon, you know, you have a need for a specific purchase, you go online, you purchase it, you, you initiate that. Whereas here, this is very marketing in tights. So you are on, for example, on CNN.com and you're reading the news and then there's suddenly an ad about why you should try to refinance your mortgage today. Rates are low or, you know, the government is passing some laws and they're trying to give you a sense of urgency about why you need to um, do this, whereas you may not have been necessarily thinking about it. You may or may not have been, but this is very marketing driven. And then also very impacted by external factors like, you know, interest rates go up, uh, government regulations like the HARP program, 
it's highly competitive and very dynamic. And also the other thing to note is that lead buyers really have control. Like uh, they have leverage in this relationship. They kind of set um, the prices, what they're willing to buy. So that's just another thing to keep in mind. It might be different from some other businesses. As I mentioned, like here's an example, right? You're on CNN.com and you see an ad. Experts are urging Americans to refinance in 2018. You and this is a lending tree. Ad lending tree is the biggest, you know, mortgage lead gen. They're they're the, the one that has a brand and they're you know they're number one in this space. So you're gonna see a lot of their ads all over the you know uh, online websites. And then you click on that and you reach an advertorial page where it tells you more about. Um, you know why you need to refine a mortgage payoff eliminates up to 15 years of payments and you read more about this concept and then eventually there's a link to their form flow and then you click on that link and you get to their form the form will ask you a bunch of questions about what type of property you're refinancing what are your needs and as you can see some of these are pretty funky looking pages they're different from some of the other websites you may have seen online and you're probably thinking to yourself like why does this look so funky but all of this stuff has been tested and they they saw a better response for example from a round figure probably with an image versus the alternative and it converted ended up converting better and that's why you're seeing that experience from here you go through this form flow it's got probably about 10 or so steps in the end, they ask you about your personal information, name, phone number. Sometimes they ask you things like your date of birth or social security number. And then that becomes a lead and it gets sold to the mortgage provider. So that's kind of like the end-to-end -end flow. Any questions just about the flow before we get into specific use cases and we talk about specific optimization? Does it make sense? All right, cool. So going back to... Um, the optimization tactics we're going to talk about. So the most common optimization um, tactic you've heard about is A-B testing. Anybody in here who, who doesn't know what A-B testing is? Okay, perfect. Uh, so A-B testing, simple definition, is just a way to compare two versions of something to see which one performs better, right? So typically you would... Um, randomize your the traffic of your consumers and then randomly show them uh, send a percentage of them to see experience a and then uh, the same kind of uh, percentage level would go to see uh, experience b and all other factors are controlled and then you try to see which one performs better in this case the kpi is typically going to be like your form conversion is going to be your your first kpi there could also be like further downstream KPIs. Like for example, in this case, mortgage lead gen, we care about form conversion and then we also care about um, the performance on the lender side. You know, these are, are these leads gonna actually convert to, to a loan application, right? But the focus of our presentation today is gonna be mostly on form conversion just because it's simpler and I don't wanna get too complicated. Uh, so A-B testing is the most basic, most common approach to do this. And it could be as simple as you want to try a different headline on your site, or you want to try to see if buttons perform better versus drop downs. Like you do an A-B test. You have one version of your page with one headline and another version with another, and you test it together. 
or the button versus radio. And then a lot of times these simple changes can have significant lift or improvement or sometimes it could be it could significantly hurt your conversion. So the benefits of A-B testing is that it allows you to, to clearly distinguish between causation and correlation because otherwise if you didn't do A-B testing, you would just go and replace your page or your site with the new experience. Then you would see a difference in results, but you couldn't say for sure if it was for that new experience because things may have changed. Maybe the market changed. Maybe the consumer behavior changed. Maybe there was some regulation that was passed on that one day. So you cannot, in order to be able to really say for sure that the impact was because of your chain, you have to test it in parallel at the same time and then keeping all factors the same. Does that make sense? So that's, that's great about A-B testing. Another benefit is that there are many streamlined and easy-to-use tools available, like Optimize is an example. Um, you know, this sort of thing, the concept has been around for a while, so there's been a lot of work done on to simplifying it. You don't even have to, like, for example, Optimize it. You don't even have to be a programmer, and you could just go in there. And, you know, by adding a line of code to your site, uh, anybody can go in there and just, like, click on parts of your site and change headlines and images and just run a bunch of tests, which is great. And then uh, what I mentioned is the benefit is that it can, these simple, seemingly simple changes can result in significant, like you'll be surprised, like just changing a headline on the first page of the form, we've seen like 15% lift just from changing the headline <laughs> to something that's more engaging. What are the downsides of A-B testing? So in general, uh, when you're talking about A-B testing, you're talking about testing two concepts and then whichever one performed better, you deploy that for all of your consumers. In general, that's how it's used. The problem with that is that you don't really maximize value across different audiences. So you, you typically try to look for one that which experience works better across all and then, and then you kind of deploy that for everybody. And that may not necessarily be the winner for all of your audiences. On average, it's performing the best. But if you actually dig down to and then look at your the cohorts or groups of different consumers, you may find that maybe that experience was actually really bad for, for like mobile users coming from a specific marketing source. Whereas it performs great on, for desktop users um, from another marketing source. That's just an example of different audiences, right? And you could be more granular, obviously. Um, the other downside is that it's not easily adaptable to changes in user behavior. So let's say we go ahead and test this for a few weeks and we like, hey, experience A is killing it, right? And then we deploy that production and then three months down the road, something changes, you know, the market changes, consumer behavior changes, and, and that may not necessarily be the best experience anymore. But we won't know about it. We have to go back and either back test, you know, to a previous version and then like continuously be on top of that. And that's just, it's just not easy to keep it adaptable with change. And then lastly, it can be time consuming because you're testing like one concept at a time. And then sometimes it takes weeks or months to get statistically significant results. And that's a time consuming process. I'm not going to get into the statistics of this. Uh, a lot of tools are available out there you can use. You don't have to necessarily know statistics to be able to do A-B testing. I mean, it helps. It's great to know it. But there's so much, uh, so many easy tools available that you can, you can just trust the tool. It will tell you, like, how much sample size you need and 
you know, how, how long you need to run it, so all that. So I'm not going to talk about that. I, I don't feel like I'm an expert in statistics, but you do have to have, you do either have to know the statistics or you have to use tools that can tell you when your results are statistically um, uh, significant. Oh, actually, I was going to show, I was going to share with you um, some of the places where we have used A-B testing or we've seen value. So, in my mind, the biggest value of A-B testing comes from not the smaller changes on your website, but the bigger changes. So, like, you want to test a fundamentally different website with a fundamentally different design. Let's say you, you have one form that has 12 steps and then you want to go to like five steps. You want to group some, like that's a fundamental change. Or then suddenly you want to introduce a totally different design like with a funky character on the side and moving animations. I think A-B testing is necessary and is probably the only practical way to test these, these kind of major fundamental changes across it. And the way and I use A-B testing now is typically for those sort of changes. So for example, um, every six months or so, um, we have like a kind of a brand new form and we just want to test it out because, you know, especially in this kind of space, your site is going to experience fatigue after a while, right? So I mean, no matter how much you optimize your site, at some point, you have to drastically switch things up. So incremental optimizations take you to, to a certain point, but then you have to totally switch things up at some point. So the way I use A-B testing mainly is for those fundamental changes. The reason we, we start with A-B testing is because we want to find the base site that performs better, and then we take that base site, and then we take that a step further into, for incremental optimization. So, um, and we're going to talk about those more kind of um, subtle changes later, but uh, this would be like the first test because, because you, it would be too much, I guess, to to try to um, present a totally different experience to like segments of your consumers. You can you can switch things up incrementally, but but your base site has to be relatively stable, in my mind. Otherwise, it's it's not very practical. Um, so going further into this, so the next thing we want to talk about is personalization. And again, this is. This is the part what I, I'm interested to hear, like, for example, yours or anybody else who's, who's had experience with these. I haven't necessarily seen these concepts brought together in the way that I kind of try to wrap my head around it. So if something doesn't make sense to you or if you have a different experience, let me know. So personalization is just customizing a service or product to meet the specific needs of a segment of consumer. That's the definition. Uh, and then, so the benefits of this versus kind of like um, our a-B testing example. Yes, I mean, A-B testing can be done in a way where you segment um, <laughs> audiences, but if you really take that concept to uh, the next level, it becomes personalization, where you really try to think about your different groups of consumers, and you're like, for example, like, um, we have different marketing sources. Um, one example that is a good example for personalization is uh, SEM. So paid search, right, where consumers go and they enter a certain search term. So the way they're getting to your form is they actually search something about refinance and then 
uh, you want to bring them to your form. So for these guys, it's a very specific use case, right? So your the headline in your in your form and maybe even in your, in your advertorial has to closely match what they were searching for if you want to get the highest value. So for example, if I'm searching for how to you know cash out refi, then you you want to make sure that your advertorial and the form are kind of speaking to that message, right? The first headline of the form some, speaks to something about cash out. You know, you should cash out today at low rates. So just, just even the word itself, right? So that's an example like personalizing for that audience differently than the rest of it. You have a different treatment. You could be a custom form. It could be a custom out of real just for that group. Um, and then what's the benefit? So benefit obviously is maximizes the business value for these specific consumer groups. Presents the best customer experience to the specific consumer group. Um, downsides could be that it could be difficult to discover these differences. Like in this case, it's pretty obvious. But I mean, in general, it could be, it could be difficult to try to gain that kind of insight. And then also cost it to implement a different experience for each different audience. Does that make sense? So this is... This is where we get to predictive personalization. So again, hopefully this, this kind of, uh, the way this is laid out starts to make sense. So what is predictive personalization? This is using predictive technologies to determine the variations of the product or service which perform best for specific consumer groups. So instead of me manually going and figuring out, you know, for which, either doing an A-B test for a segment or you know, based on some insights that I've gained and going and personalizing for each group, what I'm doing, I still have to do something. I have to come up with some ideas, but then I feed these into some kind of predictive technology, um, like machine learning specifically, where it will try to analyze the data and look for patterns and consistency, repeated patterns to see, okay, for this audience, they seem to be responding well to this headline whereas this other audience does not, where they, they're performing better just to the control headline. And then that model keeps running, and then it will find the differences in audiences. It will, try to, it will automatically optimize for this sort of thing. So this is kind of a newer concept. Uh, I don't think there's, there are many people out there who are using it. We are working with a, with a company that's doing a great, great job at this. The name of the company is Intellimize, and uh, that, they do exactly that. So they have a platform that uses machine learning. Um, I work with them. I submit a bunch of ideas, and then for each idea, there is like a control running, and then there's an optimization running, and that, the, the engine just runs, and then it will automatically, not only it runs, it defines the the um, behaviors, it also will automatically display the better performing variation more than the lower performing variation. So as it's testing, unlike A-B testing, like where you have to, like you run it for a few weeks before you get any kind of results or value, this is learning in real time, right? And automatically it will adjust. So if one version is performing better for certain audience, it will, it will show that more. And then if one is not performing well, it will show it less. It will still learn but it, it will, you will get incremental value as it's running. And it's running in real time. So it's, if changes happen in the market, changes happen in consumer behavior, 
that model is always recalculating and readjusting. If you have enjoyed the episode so far, check out our upcoming live events at productschool.com slash events. Use the promo code PRODUCTPODCAST in all caps to get a free ticket to the next event in your city. All right, so some of the examples uh, of personalization, engaging headlines, convenient, uh, conveniently presented common answers, consistent CTA placements, setting expectations and progress indicators, so like showing how many steps in your form and what the progress, uh, effects of branding and logo. Those are some things that we've seen significant differences in, in different lines, like um, for example, like we don't really have a brand in mortgage lead space, so our logo, uh, that easy, the easy loan site logo, it actually had a negative Im- impact in some cases because no one knows that that brand. Like, or or even Bills.com is you know is a brand, but it's not necessarily um, um, intuitive for someone who's looking for a refinance. So. Sometimes these branding and logos, unless you have a strong, you know you have a strong brand, sometimes logos or um, branding that's, that doesn't have that strength may actually play or have a negative impact. Uh, the way we noticed this was that one of our competitors, um, Lower My Bills, which I think I have it up. You can see there is no header on that form. So that's something that they tested and they realized that because they also didn't have a brand. They noticed that having that Lower My Bills logo at the top was either not beneficial or, or resulted in negative impact. So they took it out. And then everything else about this form has been tested. And for example, you can see the person, this funky character. I'm sure they've tested the heck out of that funky. They tried a bunch of different characters and for some reason they thought this funky character performs the best. And the fact that he's holding a cell phone there's another version where he's holding a laptop. Like, I'm sure that was tested. And consumers, you know, responded positively to that. These huge texts, no registration, no login required to compare, completely free, calculate your new payment. This is kind of to reduce the consumer drop-off or the concern that, you know, don't worry, you can fill this, this form out. We're not going to collect, you know, you don't have to log in, you don't have to register. And then the steps, you know, you can see this is step number one, where, you know, then I click it, and then it's step number two. And then the Facebook like button at the top is probably just to give them some kind of um, authority or trust. So it's, it's pretty interesting and pretty powerful that these simple concepts can really have huge impacts on the conversion you see. And I think some of these are a little bit specific to mortgage lead because you probably don't see these funky looking forms. Pretty 90s. Yeah, exactly. You probably would be surprised that somebody at this age is using that kind of form. And they're actually one of the industry leaders. So it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, there are different KPIs. So we, we're, the main focus of what we talked about today was just form conversion. We do look at the downstream metrics. Typically, um, we mostly look at overall downstream metrics. Um, we are working on building the functionality for each experience to kind of, the problem is with, the challenge is that 
the seasoning time, it takes like weeks, sometimes a month before we get that downstream metric. So it becomes sometimes difficult like to, to go and, you know, for example, I change this headline and then I have to wait four weeks uh, for that lead to see what was the impact on our lender performance. Like this person, the changing that headline, yes, it helped them convert on the form, but did it actually increase the chances of them um, signing up for a loan application? That's ultimately what, that should really be ultimately your biggest KPI. So right now we are tracking that on an overall basis. We are, we are working, building it at the experimentation level, which is ideal, but it's just, it's just been difficult. But that's a great question. The biggest test we've done in this area uh, is the test where we've done on a longer form experience. So what we did is we have our, what we call short form and then long form. So short form is kind of like um, you just collect like name, phone number, and um, and all the basic information on the lead. The longer form, it goes a little bit further. Like it asks you, asks you about like your current loan situation. It asks you sometimes about like personal information like your date of birth or your social security number. So these are higher intent questions. And then also when we get the current loan, we try to check, we do a check in, into our lender uh, network to see if there are loan options where we can actually recommend a certain loan product for them that has value. Like for example, you come in and say like, my current uh, rate is uh, 5% and then we do a check in the lender network and we see, okay, there's a lender that offers 4% rate uh, and you want to reduce your rate. Then we come back with a recommendation and then we found that Consumers that are going through that longer form, if we're able to offer a recommendation to them, they convert like at significantly higher, um, higher percentages on the back end. This is one where we actually we did track it downstream. So then now you're going to try to push people into that longer form to get that recommendation? They yes. Optimize to get a recommendation? Yeah, so the challenge, yes. So the challenge is that um, it's a longer form, so it has more drop-offs. So there's a bit of um, economics you have to do to to make to see you know where uh, where it becomes economical to do that. So there's a cost because you uh, it's a longer form, so more people are dropping off as you go through more steps. But then the people that make it through they perform at higher. So um, it's a bit you know it's it's a bit tricky to find that um, the point where it makes uh, profitable to do that. But the way to look at it is kind of like a premium product. We can use it as a premium product and then sell those at a higher rate. Or, for example, uh, we can use when some, some of our mortgage providers are struggling or they're complaining about lead quality, then we can kind of give them some more of those higher intent. So we can use it as lever or we can use it to potentially charge them a higher price for, the, for those subset of these and then to, to be able to make it economical. Cool. Uh, any other questions? Awesome. Um, so to summarize, uh, and I think we really kind of talked about these throughout. So this, uh, this is, again, this is my perspective. Uh, if somebody else tells you something different, you know, uh, respect to them. Um, 
in my experience, A-B testing is great for testing uh, those fundamental major changes to your site to come up with, you know, find out which base site experience you want to go with for your additional optimizations and ongoing optimizations. And that's not something you do one time. In our industry, that's, we come up with a new site you know, once every six months you know, or maybe once every year. So there is a need because it's such a dynamic space. You need to come up with new things relatively quickly. So come up with, do A-B testing to find that base site and then use personalization to optimize for differences in your audience for those incremental values and then for optimizing for those different groups. And then if you have access to a predictive personalization platform, uh, whether you you have the resources to build that internally or you have um, you're able to afford that to work with an agency such as Intelamize or others who are doing great work, I think that's ideal for ongoing optimizations because ultimately it will save you time, it will result in the highest value across the board, and it will be adaptive to changes in the market. Whereas versus other approaches. Uh, will be more work, will likely take longer, and uh, will will not be adaptable to change. And uh, and that's it. So we can we can finish with that. And I'll be happy to answer any other questions about this or anything else. About initially, when you're starting from like scratch, like a brand new site that you want to start optimization, is it, there's a lot of brainstorming. And it's probably helpful just to get a group of people, right? And then just have them just, people just come up, brainstorm a bunch of ideas, right? Because you don't know what's going to perform better, right? Um, your guess is as good as mine. Like nobody knows. Like a lot of times um, we may think one thing performs better, but it doesn't. So I think brainstorm is, is important. Having an open mind is important. And then, um, and then just as a group, like agreeing, you know, what you guys want to start with. Like your main stakeholders, like for example, in my case, marketing is a major stakeholder for us. We don't want to, you know, whenever we, we hurt form conversions, they're going to be the first people on my door. You're like, oh, what happened? You, you know, form conversion is down. So you want to make sure those key stakeholders are on board with, with those kind of tests that you're doing. And then, um, and then get started with a bunch of tests. Once you start running a bunch of tests, then you get an idea of what works, what doesn't work. And then the ones that do work, you can, like I was mentioning um, over there, is that then you capitalize on the ones that were successful and you try to come up with different variations of, of the ones that worked. Or the places where you see there, there are more opportunities. Like, for example, like that form, we did a bunch of tests across all the different steps. And then we reached the, the agreement, the um, conclusion, that really the biggest places where it makes a difference is either the first step or the... Um, that last step before they submit their PII information. So instead of like focusing on these steps in the middle where not too many people drop off really, most people drop off on the first step or the last step, the, the, the step before the last step. So we're like, we should focus on those areas because that's the biggest opportunities and the biggest drop-offs are, are there. And then um, the ideas that worked, capitalize them and then uh, try to find more variations on them uh, on those, the ones that were successful. Thanks for listening to the product podcast. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to know more about our courses and next courts, 
visit ProductSchool.com. Stay tuned for the next episode to learn more about the secrets in product management.